You guys know that Joe Biden's done, right? Like, I mean, he is not running again in 2024. Even if I'm wrong about that, I can tell you that there is an idea that got him elected, and it is the thing underneath all that Biden is doing that has made his presidency such a disaster. I'll show this idea today, this, this philosophy, as it were, in our headlines as we look at Chuck Schumer trying to pass the most radical abortion bill the United States has ever seen, even in the shooting that just took place in Buffalo where 10 people were killed and three were injured, and also, too, on the pop culture side of things. I'll show it how it's, how it's even impacting things like what took place with Britney Spears and her recent miscarriage. And then finally, we'll round out the show today looking at the development, the creation of a whole new brand of Christianity with the pro-choice Christian. Like, how does that even become a thing? Well, I'll show you that all on Indie Thinker today. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Um, I was doing the husbandly duties the other day. I was uh, sitting at home while my wife went to the store and she got back and nothing that uh, was on the list per se that, that I asked her to get, she got. So I immediately had to go back to the store and go get those things. Now, usually the shoe is definitely on the foot, other foot and that's me and I'm getting all of those things that I'm supposed to get, but also getting texts all the way up until I'm checking out as well, and then all the way into the car, and then all the way when I'm pulling up to our place of residence, uh, telling me things to, to get, and typically I forget something, right? Uh, but uh, the shoe was on the other foot last night, and so my wife forgot something. So as a dutiful husband, I braved the, uh, the, the t Tennessee night and went out to, to the shopping market to go get some stuff. And while I was doing so, I was driving around the parking lot and I saw some, uh, just a couple of people, just maybe like three people gathered around a guy that was on the ground. And I looked at him and I could see that he was convulsing a little bit. And so he was having some type of seizure, I supposed. And so I quickly parked and went over to assess the situation to make sure that they didn't need any help. Um, they had one guy holding his head and he was over on his side. So they had pretty much, as far as I could tell, and as far as I know, did everything they could to help this guy. Um, and they had called the ambulance, so they were already on the way. His wife was there and she was really worried. And so I thought, you know, as much as possible, they got this thing under control. So uh, maybe I can offer them one, one more thing that, that may help. And so I said, hey, listen, uh, would it be okay as we're waiting for the ambulance to get here if I prayed for your husband real quick? And she said, yes, please. And by the way, I found that very often we're kinda, we kind of have misgivings about how to operate in these situations. And really just whatever you can do to try to help people in those situations, typically. I know you can do more good than, than uh, do more harm than good, but typically people are so open, especially for that kind of spiritual stuff uh, in, a, in a moment of crisis. So they said, yes, please. So I just knelt down while the guy was holding the, the man's head and started to pray for him. And uh, and so I just, I didn't pray very long for him, but it didn't take long for him to start kind of like coming to and uh, responding as, as I started praying to him. So I thought that was pretty, that was pretty stinking cool. Um, and so I stood up and just kind of stayed by and then asked the wife for the names of her husband and her so that I could continue to pray for them. Um, and then, and then as the ambulance got there, kind of stepped out of the way and let them do their thing. They turned him around. He was totally, well, he was kind of, he was awake and coming kind of in and out of, of that kind of post-seizure uh, that he was having. So 
I say all that to say this, um, I walked away from that moment feeling really, really good because I was able to offer what I felt was something meaningful in a moment of crisis for complete strangers. And it really does feel good to help people. And it doesn't happen often, but I'm able to sometimes meet that kind of intersection of doing something that is good and feeling good uh, about it. But, but the real problem is kind of maybe the opposite of that, is that when you do something that feels good, but isn't good. So the idea is that our emotions can be great liars to us. Our emotions are powerful and our emotions help us, you know, and, and, and emotional experiences like I had can be really, really therapeutic for each and every one of us. In fact, I think we should go out of our way to do random acts of kindness so that we can feel good like that on a regular basis. We probably wouldn't be all up in other people's business if we were actually living a more meaningful life. It's, kind of side note, but the, but the point is, is this, is that emotions are a powerful thing, but they can also lead us astray. And I'll get into how that's been working out in our society recently, but before I do that, I wanna make sure that you know that this episode of Indie Thinker is, is sponsored by our friends over at the Kevin Blair team at Element Funding. So Element Funding is a mortgage company that can serve your needs if you're looking to refinance a house or looking to purchase a brand new home. And there is no better group of people in the Element Funding company company than our friends over at the Kevin Blair team. So if you are looking right now to lock in a rate before they go crazier than they are already are, then, then you, need to, you need to take a moment to go over to kevinblairteam.com right now so that they can pre-approve you for a home loan. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm gonna wait for home loans, uh, the interest rates to go back down because they're already high and they'll go back down again. But, but the problem is, is that in the meantime, you don't know if they're gonna go back down, but the one thing you do know this is that you're losing equity because you could be making payments toward your home and starting to, to build up equity in your home. And as the, the real estate market continues to grow, then all you're doing is, yes, you may be paying more in interest, but you're also losing way more in equity that you could be building as you, as you purchase a home. So what are you waiting for? You need to go right now over, over to kevinblairteam.com so that they can help you with your mortgage needs. And when you do so, don't forget to let them know that IndieThinker sent you. All right, guys, so I'm gonna let you in on a little secret that you may not be aware of. Biden is not really doing well as the president of the United States. So I, I can show you this, that his own party knows it by showing how Warren and Sanders and other already future 2024 Democratic hopefuls are slowly but surely throwing their hat in the, in the ring by jumping on this kind of like Roe v. Wade leak and trying to right now create campaign ads for the future. But I don't have to do that. Rather, I can just show you Biden. Remember those long lines you'd see in a television? People lining up in all kinds of vehicles just to get a box of food in their trunk. How quickly we forget people were hurting. Oh. And what did the MAGA crowd want to do? Forget it. Forget it. God, this is the United States of America. The idea that people would have to wait in line an hour, hour and a half to get a box of food. So what is this dude yelling at? I mean, he's it, it literally the dude from the, the grandpa from The Simpsons. Yeah, well, I may not have a fancy black bathrobe and a hammer like Snooty, but I do have slippers and an oatmeal spoon. Look! I mean, does he understand that food shortages were a thing during COVID, kind of, simply because 
everything was shut down and people didn't have certain access to things and had nothing to do with Donald Trump, but the person who is actually presiding over food shortages is none other, none other than Joseph Biden himself. So listen, Biden is the best evidence against himself. He's older than dirt. He's mentally diminishing. Everything he touches, I mean, just it couldn't get more ruined. But then Biden comes along and then shows that there is no floor to the man. And he's presiding over one of the worst economies in 40 years. And he doesn't even know it because he's yelling about food shortages that are happening during his presidency as though somebody else did it. So here's just a couple of stats about the Biden economy so far. So 7% inflation and we're moments away from a, a recession. Record gas prices. The price of oil has risen 62% since Inauguration Day. So, so much for Putin's price hike because 62% since Inauguration Day, not just since Russia. Job growth, because we hear so much about this, right? Oh, the job growth. Well, we're coming off of a pandemic. So it's a fact, yes, there is job growth, but that's because we're coming from a place where people lost their jobs by and large because of the pandemic. So all of those numbers that are being cited about job growth for Biden don't really add up to much. And then we hear about wage increases, which means absolutely nothing because of inflation. So real wages are actually down. Now, a lot of people will say, well, the real reason the economy's messed up is because Manchin wasn't helping the Democrats. Sure. Um, Biden's typical government approach is just to throw money at issues and Manchin wasn't having that because he didn't think that we should just heat ourselves with our dollar bills by throwing them into the fire. But maybe too because Manchin knows that really the way to destroy an economy is to throw money at too few goods and to keep on doing that so that it artificially creates a recession. How about this? The Dow is down more than 12% since the start of the year and the S&P by 17%. Tech stocks in particular have taken a huge hit. NASDAQ is down 27%. And one-time stars like Netflix, Zoom, and Peloton are just an absolute disaster right now. Inflation is rising 8.3% from a year ago. Worker earnings are down 2.6%. And here's a simple of prices where prices stood from a year ago. So gas is up 44% from a year ago. Used car prices, 23%. Hotels, 23%. Bacon, 18%. Oranges, 17%. In the meantime, the White House continues to push for massive new spending plans like abolishing student debt. That's exactly what we need right now is for the economy just to be crashed because people don't want to pay for their bills. And then they're pushing for abortion on demand. Meanwhile, families are struggling to even feed the babies that they have because of a formula shortage that Biden wants to blame upon, uh, upon other things other than his inability to act. So clearly, we're watching what I would say, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, the worst president of all time, right? His approval rating is further down than, than Trump's ever was. And, and I really do believe that you, with everything that I just stated, we are watching the worst presidency of all time. Okay, so here's the question. Why was Biden elected? So Biden was elected because we wanted a quote unquote return to normalcy. Biden was elected because essentially people didn't like the mean tweets. Biden was elected because many people fell for the extortion that was, you know, for four years given by the media that tried to paint Trump as a Russian cat spa and tried to paint him as a racist. So in other words, Joe Biden was elected to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. 
The media did the best they could to try to paint Trump as a villain so that anybody that voted for him must be an evil, ultra MAGA, um, you know, sadistic, evil, racist, white supremacist human being. Even if you're black, definitely a white supremacist if you voted for Trump. And so we fell for that extortion because by and large, the idea underneath so much of what is happening in society today is the idea of emotivism. Emotivism. Now, I'm going to explain that in just a second, but before I explain it, let me give you an example of emotivism. So here in the South, I don't know if this will just make you think that we're totally crazy in the South, which, which may be true, but don't worry, you're crazy too. Um, but in the South, youth sports is a really big deal. And in fact, every single part, <laughs> league that I've been a part of has this issue with parents that get a little bit too emotional on the sidelines with their kids, um, who like for kids that are seven and six years old, uh, playing soccer or whatnot, yelling at the kids to push and kick their opposition, and then parents yelling at each other. I have not been a part of a league where parents haven't been the biggest pain in the butt when it comes to kids' sports. Now, this may be, again, just something in the South, but I would hasten to bet that probably this is kids' sports wherever, uh, wherever you go, because it's probably more of a human thing than it is a Southern thing. I just know that sports is really big in this in the South. And it doesn't stop at, you know, college and the pros because it goes down into, into kids sports. Now, how is it that parents can look at themselves in the mirror and rightfully feel okay with themselves getting in fights with other parents about children's sporting events? Like, I know we need to protect our kids and I know that our kids are an emotional subject and all that stuff, but, but how can we actively look ourselves in the mirror and be okay telling children to, to act like us when we're acting more like children than the children are. So hopefully that makes sense. Well, the answer is this idea that our emotions justify us. And if it feels good, do it, because that's what emotivism is. Emotivism as a moral philosophy just simply says this, that your feelings should dictate your moral compass. So again, if something feels good, then it must be right. That's what emotivism essentially is. So what I'm suggesting is that emotivism is the reason that, that Biden got in the White House in the first place. You were convinced by the media from years of indoctrination that that Trump was not only a Russian cat's paw, but was also a racist. And, and then you saw the mean tweets and the, 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 some of the obvious issues with, with Donald Trump. But you allowed your better judgment to be suspended for the sake of making yourself feel better about saying orange man bad and old grandpa certainly returned to normalcy. But now here we are and you see how that decision has left us utterly devastated now that we have a man who is physically and mentally not capable of truly being the president of the United States. So I just have to say, especially to the, to the community of supposed evangelicals who became evangelicals for Biden and railed against Trump because they felt like that was the morally superior decision to make. How are you feeling now? I mean, do you really think that was a good idea now that we're seeing that you basically took an old man and abused him and used him to make yourself feel better about yourself? And I think it's an obviously immoral, immoral thing that we did to clearly elect a man that had no business being the president. Uh, and so I guess I'm saying that just to simply say this, because this is not really a left and right thing. We're really bound together in this, in this whole thing. This is a unified idea, as it were, that emotivism purely as a, mo as a moral principle is wrong. So let me show you the way this works so that you can see that, I'm, that I think that this is 
probably underneath so much of what is going on in our society today. So on the left, um, you could point to many things, but specifically the thing that comes to mind is the trans community, right? So we've got a group of people who are willing to bodily mutilate themselves because they say that they have a feeling, that they were born in the wrong body and they feel that they are a, a, the opposite of, of what they were born as. And that feeling alone m motivates them to take the drastic measure of uh, of hormone blockers, of things that could create you, uh, create infertilization if you're a girl and, and keep you from having a child for the rest of your life, never satisfying that maternal instinct that is deep inside of the heart of each and every woman. I don't care who you are. Um, and, 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 and so the trans issue is clearly an emotive one. But then there's some things on the right too. And I, and I may get people who are on the right mad at me for saying what I'm about to say, but hang with me. So I, I'm, I'm just gonna address the idea of voter fraud because right now 2,000 mules is, is out there and it's really gaining a lot of, of speed. And 2,000 mules is interesting, it's provocative, and, it, and it's many things, but, but I do have to tell you the one thing that it is not. It is not dispositive of voter fraud. It, 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 and, and that the election was, was stolen. It doesn't prove that point, in other words, because it doesn't actually allege any clear voter fraud or ballots that were, um, that were cast illegally. What it does is it shows some pretty interesting evidence, and the weakest among them actually is the one that's getting the most traction. This, uh, uh, if you've seen it or heard about 2,000 Mules, essentially it's a documentary by Dinesh D'Souza that said that there are ballot harvesters out there that are going door to door gathering ballots, and uh, and then casting those ballots, and that there is uh, some of these 2,000 Mules, as it were, are casting illegal ballots now. Certainly, there is ballot harvesting going on that is wrong and immoral, and it is illegal in some cities and in some states, but, but not all. Maybe it should be because the potential for fraud is obvious there. I have no doubt about that, but here's the real problem. I, even I know enough about uh, cell phone records that when they traced the cell phones of these mules, if they just happened to be in the vicinity of a place where you could cast a ballot um, during, during COVID, then, then the documentary goes on to assume and assess that that must be that they were putting those ballots in those mailboxes. But the problem with that is that that will never stand up in court. And by the way, guys on the right, this is the big problem with all of the voter fraud allegations that were being made in courts during Trump's, you know, kind of last little moments in office is that none of those things had any substantive weight to it. So interesting to say the least, provocative, more information definitely necessary, but the real issue is, is that it cannot truly prove voter fraud, but yet we have a whole group of people who are deeply emotional about voter fraud and are fully convinced without the appropriate evidence to lead them to the direct and unanimous conclusion that 100% substantial voter fraud happened in the 2020 election to steal the election away from Donald Trump. I'll just tell you, I've been listening to William Barr on this issue, and I've been listening to Ben Shapiro on this issue, and they make very compelling arguments. Sure, was it the most pristine and most beautiful election of all time? No. Is there a lot of misgivings about this election? Yes. But my misgivings cannot be conflated into actual voter fraud. So I'm going through this lengthy explanation just to say this. Even on the right, we have to be careful about not letting our emotions get the best of us so that we can think clearly and make sure that when we're making assessments about things, we're not basing them purely on emotion, but they're also based upon fact. 
And this is what holds a society together. We cannot merely be driven by our emotions or we will continue to see polarization and we will continue to see immoral things happen, especially from our political class because they will take advantage of, of that emotional nature. So let me give you just one last example here as, I, as I, we kind of jump into our headlines today, is that when Martin Luther King Jr. showed up on the scene, what he appealed to was not just merely people's emotions. He was appealing to something deeply embedded that we knew is a truth, even in our Constitution and even in our Declaration of Independence. He was appealing to the idea that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal and endowed with inalienable rights by their Creator. He was appealing to this bedrock of truth underneath the emotional nature of what people were feeling at the time with race relations in America, and that's why it was so successful. And truly, anything that is successful will not only appeal to people's, uh, people's emotions, but will also appeal to, to facts and, and appeal to the truth. And when those two things intersect, man, they are powerful. It is the reason the Civil Rights Movement was so successful, because Martin Luther King appealed to both of those things, the intersection of our emotions and our hearts, and, 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 the, and the morality of what was going on at the time, but also the, the truth of our own founding documents. And so at the end of the day, here's what I'm saying. Pleasure is good. You know, Christians are, get a bad rap sometimes for, for talking purely about passion and pleasure and stuff like that. But the reality is pleasure can be good. The real question is from whence do we derive pleasure? So our emotions, what, what makes us feel good, what should be the things that truly makes us feel good? And if we don't gain a deeper sense of the fact that emotions alone need to be rooted in something deeper, then we will continue to have some of the problems that we're having in our society. And we'll see that today as we jump in our headlines. So Schumer's recent abortion on demand bill just failed in the Senate, but by the way, it was designed to do so because he wasn't trying to actually get it passed. He was merely trying to gen up some uh, some campaign material uh, because he knew that this radical abortion bill wasn't going to pass in the Senate. And so it got 49 votes and one less Democrat, Manchin, did not vote for it. So this bill is clearly a sign of the radicalism of the left. They own every aspect of our government, at least for the next few months anyway, and it is payday someday. But yet they still can't find a single policy to try to get any kind of bar bipartisan support. They couldn't even get 10 Republicans on their side for this bill because what they're calling a codification of Roe v. Wade is actually a radical expansion of abortion like never seen before in the United States. But so that's why it didn't pass. But word has it Democrats from Virginia, Tim Kaine and Republican Susan Collins are working on an abortion rights bill that probably could pass that enshrines abortion rights for the first trimester. So for the first 12 weeks, uh, you would be able to get an abortion. Now, this mirrors what's going on in almost every other country. In fact, America has the most radical abortion laws. Uh, most European developed nations only allow abortions within the first trimester and usually around just 12 weeks. Um, but America, uh, of course, most places in America, you can, you can ex go further than, than that. And, and of course, this bill would have allowed for you to get an abortion all the way up till nine months. Now, I, 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 I've got to tell you, even the devil knows that a baby in your arms is zero different from a baby in your womb from five minutes ago.
So, I mean, I, they are not going to be happy until the baby in the birth canal, you can murder it all the way up until it finally crowns. But that's what this radical abortion bill did. And this is why Manchin did not vote for this bill. And you can hear him say that here. The bill we have today to vote on, the Women's Health Protection Act, and I respect people who support, but don't make no mistake, it is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. So why is this happening? Why are we seeing Schumer really not only call out his other colleagues, but, but put all of them on the chopping block at a time where... The Democratic Party is lined up for just an absolute demolishing um, in, in 2022 and then in 2024, most likely. Uh, here's, here's why. They truly believe in emotivism as an operating principle of their political regime. They do. They believe that if you get emotional about Roe v. Wade, then they can, then they can control you. I've said it often on the show before, it was the author of Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, who said this, that it is way easier to control people with, um, with things they like than with bayonets. That, that, that you can do a lot with bayonets is the actual quote, but you can't sit on them. So the idea is, is that like you can control people with bayonets, but they can also fight back because they'll get tired of getting poked. But you can't, so you can't sit on a bayonet. So if you can find something to control people that they can sit on and find comfort out of, well, then there's the money shot right there. So this is what Aldous Huxley knew when he wrote Brave New World. And, and to some degree, perhaps even uh, Orwell with 1984. But, but the idea is this, is that you need to be convinced that your subjugation is in your own best interest. So they will lie and they will try to get you emotional so that you can't think for yourself and so that you don't really process what's going on. I mean, that's what we're seeing with this whole Roe v. Wade thing, quite frankly, because the amount of just immoral and disgusting arguments that are being, being made by the left right now blow the mind. But perhaps the most dishonest of which is that we, what we just heard is that what Schumer wants to do is merely a codification of Roe, which is clearly not true. Once again, Roe v. Wade being overturned will not eliminate abortion. But the vast majority of Americans think that it will. That's why 66% think that Roe v. Wade should be placed intact. Not because they actually know what Roe v. Wade is, but because they simply think that if Roe v. Wade is undone, then nobody has the right to get an abortion. That abortion will be utterly destroyed. Why else would they try to lie and call what they just did in the Senate a codification of Roe? I mean, the bill is so extreme, it would have wiped 500 state laws directly off the books. It would have been the most radical abortion policy the United States has ever seen. So why do something that drastic and something that audacious? Well, they need to do something over the top because they know that when you're emotional, that you don't think clearly. And so they were doing stuff to gen up conflict and gen up emotions. You can't say that's not true. Look at what is happening outside of the homes of Supreme Court justices' houses. I mean, I showed this clip a while back, so I won't show it again, but there was somebody that was outside of one of their houses and they said, if you don't do what I want, then you don't get to deserve, you don't deserve a, a Saturday night of peace until you do what we want. I'm just thinking like, how can you even look yourself in the mirror and say things like that? They're utterly immoral. Well, here's why. Because they have been totally driven by their emotions that they no longer clearly think for themselves. And this is what is going on.
with this bill. So this goes back to the philosophy of emotivism. That's what's really behind so much of the pro-choice arguments of the left. They don't really believe that it's women's health because they know that a baby in the womb that's a woman is really not getting a fair shot at good health when they have their brains sucked out of their head. And they also know this too, don't make any mistake about it, they know that the abortion that the woman is going to get is not really gonna be that healthy for the woman. Could leave parts of the baby in it, causing the woman to risk her own life because abortion procedures are very risky and very dangerous. Not to mention the emotional scarring that takes place when somebody has an abortion sometimes never goes away. So when we talk about women's health, we're certainly not talking about women's mental health when we talk about abortion. I mean, you can go all over Twitter, by the way. I know the repository of all things stupid, but you can go to Twitter and you can find people who are telling their abortion stories and saying, I regret it. It's the worst decision I've ever made in my life. I wonder all the time. This just, it just breaks your heart to hear this. I wonder all the time what color my baby's hair would have been. Could you imagine living every single day with that pain inside of your heart? This is why abortion must be stopped because it's bad for women across the board, not to mention bad for the boys in the womb as well. Um, so I got your back, boys. Uh, needless to say, it's, it's clear that here is another case of emotivism. And let me show you yet another case of emotivism. As difficult and as tragic as what just took place in Buffalo, uh, we, do need to, we do need to look at it from as clear perspective as we possibly can. So before I do that, let me just say, prayers go out to the families who were affected by the shooting. There are, thir there are 10 who were killed. And what we're hearing is, is that there was a 180 page document, which I'm thinking to myself, my God, dude, if you're gonna write 180 pages, like go publish a book or something, uh, but nobody will probably read it if it's got racist, disgusting rhetoric in it, but needless to say, uh, that has this person's writing in it that kind of gives the motive for the attack and has racist rhetoric in it. So by all accounts, we can say this white man that went in and shot up a supermarket in Buffalo was doing so because he was a radical racist. Now, I, I hate to mention this because it's been mentioned so much, but it does need to come on the radar every time we see this kind of stuff. Whenever a person who is not white does this kind of stuff, the color of the individual is almost always left out. It's never called a, uh, a black supremacist shooting. It's never called an Asian supremacist. The race of the person never enters into it unless that person is white. This just recently happened in New York when a guy went into a subway and started shooting people. Well, most people didn't even know that the person was black because they never mentioned it. And then, of course, the thing that I can compare this to the most is the, uh, the Wakusha uh, thing that took place over the holidays with, with that guy driving into a holiday parade, killing five and injuring 48 people. I mean, these are families celebrating the holidays, and this guy just drives directly into them. And this guy, of course, had BLM rhetoric all over his social media uh, accounts, and, but yet there is no like, quote, national mourning. There, there is, the, the president certainly made mention of it, so I wanna say that, but however, the president didn't go to visit these families uh, during this, this time, but he's going to Buffalo to, <clears throat> to go visit these families. No, I'm, I'm glad he is, and I hope he can provide some comfort to them. I sincerely doubt it, <clears throat> since it's hard for him to string together a coherent sentence. However, the one thing that you're going to hear from this is you're gonna hear about guns, and you're gonna hear about racism. And this is, again, because this suits the needs of the Democratic Party. Um, and so I'll just say this, fine, let's deal with racism, let's deal with shootings, but, but why aren't we going to deal with the soul of America? Now, I'll just be fair, I know Biden is not gonna deal with the soul of America, 
And I'm not positive that Trump would either, but all I'm gonna say is when we're dealing with identity politics and we don't get back to morality, we're doomed. So here again, what we're doing is we're, we're taking the most emotional way to look at this thing instead of the most universally and morally appealing way to look at this would be to say this, there is just one race, it's the human race. And whenever any of this stuff happens, it is a travesty. And to suggest that racism is the big issue that needs to be addressed here rather than the soul of a nation that would allow for this kind of evil to run rampant is probably a much bigger deal. And I don't even have time to get into the whole firearm thing, but, but it is at the very least morally negligent to talk about race and to talk about the second amendment at a time like this when we should be talking about good and evil. The reason they won't talk about this is because they wanna get you emotional. They wanna convince you uh, of certain ideas and myths so that they don't actually have to get to the more substantive issues of mental illness and the great spiritual chasm that exists in the hearts of human beings that desperately need to be that desperately need to be addressed if we're actually gonna solve anything. If we take away people's guns and we take away people's second amendment, what are we gonna replace it with? You, you think it's just gonna be okay that we just take things away from people but don't replace it with? So, so the point is, is that even doing that, which I'm not a fan of, um, I, I, even doing that is still not gonna solve the deep undergirding issue of the human heart until we get to the place where we're actually willing to substantively talk about morality and the soul, we're gonna to continue to have these issues because all the other stuff is just merely engineered to try to get you emotional. And speaking of emotional, a very tragic loss just happened to Britney Spears. So here we see that Britney Spears had the devastating loss of her miracle baby. Her, her what? She, she had a miscarriage, so this is a baby in the womb. So she had a what? Oh yeah. She had a baby, a baby in her womb. So not just the euphemistic fetus or clump of cells, but a baby was in her womb. Now, we, we pray for Brittany and, and this is a difficult thing to experience. And as a pastor, I've had to walk with many people through the difficult loss of a miscarriage, which, which again points to the fact that like, can you imagine understanding that what's inside of your belly is a life and then going through with an abortion and how that continues to haunt you? Because just a miscarriage alone, as women know, regardless of the stage, that that baby inside of them, when, when that baby dies, it's, it's very, very sad. And, and it takes a lot of time for a lot of people to, to, to get back on their feet from the tragic loss of a miscarriage. And that inevitably is what's going on with Brittany right now. And so I just wanna quickly mention this story because ultimately we, we had um, the sickness of activism kind of on full display. With, with the whole Britney Spears thing because we, the whole free Britney movement did not take into account at all if Britney Spears was actually in her right mind and was capable of caring for herself, much less caring for her children. They were only concerned in the, in the moral position of trying to free Britney so that uh, her conservatorship could be ended because they thought that, boy, if they could make some groundswell of a public movement, then, then we've done some moral great thing here without actually considering what was in the best interest of Britney whatsoever. It was totally selfish. And this is, again, another sign of emotivism, is that when you only put your emotions at the forefront, you're only caring about yourself and how you feel. You're not caring about what's right. And so the point is, is that if Britney is not truly in a good mental space, if she's truly not mentally healthy, 
this miscarriage that she just experienced on Saturday is gonna be yet another great wound for this woman that's already really, really struggling. And so this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff breaks people. This is why we cannot be purely led by our emotions and why we have to be a little bit more emotionally intelligent about this kind of stuff by guarding our emotions with facts and truth. We can't just be led astray by our emotions. And that brings us to kind of our final thing that we're gonna talk about today on Christianity, not today, is the development of people who purely seem to be emotional ideologues that have sprung up in the Christian, the quote unquote Christian movement who consider themselves pro-choice. So I'll show you that today. So Ali Stuckey, of course, is a Christian and a pro-life, um, avid pro-life supporter. And she's also on The Blaze. She's got her own podcast, her own show and all that stuff. And recently she, she spoke with a guy named Brandon Roberts. Now, Brandon Roberts, I've said in the past, is somebody who kind of cosplays as a Christian pastor, uh, very clearly a liberal progressive. And he just recently came on Ali's show to give the defense for a quote unquote Christian uh, pro-choice stance. So I'm gonna show you just a little bit of, of that show here. So first, I'm just going to open it up to you. If you could just briefly kind of summarize why you consider yourself pro-choice, why you believe that abortion should be a legal option for women. Yeah, I think abortion is a morally complex issue. And one thing that I always have said about abortion is that I don't know any progressive person that wants to see abortion increased. We all want to see it decreased. I think the, the question is about how we do that. And so I believe that there are many instances in which women should have the right to access abortion care. There are many instances, uh, both from a faith perspective historically and from modern scientific perspective, when uh, about why women should have access to abortions. Okay, before we jump into like substantively to uh, Brandon Roberts's response here, I just want to pinpoint a word for you really quick so that you can be careful about it. The word nuanced. This is merely just a way to cover up a bad thought through position with pseudo intellectualism. Well, it's very nuanced and you see you have to be very intelligent to get this and think really deeply about this. That's just a bunch of verbiage that doesn't mean anything. Uh, in fact, the most intelligent people are able to take something that's difficult and make it very succinct. So uh, whenever you hear this, please remember, the most intelligent people do not use this, this nuanced term as an excuse to try to get away with a very, very bad and very, very poorly thought through position. These people are merely trying to muddy the waters on purpose. This happens a lot in the trans community. Well, trans health is actually a very nuanced field. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. You guys just, you butcher people, period. All right. So the progressive movement, um, then also too, because uh, kind of getting back more substantively to, to the point, the progressive movement seems to totally have lost our buddy, Brandon, a long time ago, like all the way back in the nineties, because they used to say safe, legal, and rare. Like that used to be the position that they were interested in trying to make abortions very rare, but they are no longer. So Brandon is just wrong here. Now, if that's his personal stance, uh, I will get to some questions for him specifically, but in terms of progressives being safe, legal, and rare, that is just not true anymore. Um, and I can prove it to you uh, because they are no longer calling it even safe, legal, and rare. They want to make it safe, legal, and accessible, according to a report that was released by the pro-choice caucus in the Democratic Party just recently. So they don't want, they've replaced the word rare with the word accessible. So they want safe, legal, and accessible. All this has been done because rare is a contradiction in terms. To imply that it needs to be rare means that there's a moral conundrum involved in abortion. 
And if so, then the question is not, should it be rare, but should it be done at all? And the Democrats can't afford to admit that, that there's a moral conundrum with murdering a baby in the womb. Because the question is, is like, why rare? Why should it be rare? So rather than use the word rare, they say, let's make it safe, legal, and accessible. So case in point, Schumer's bill, the Women's Health Protection Act, does not codify Wade. We are already talked about this. It doesn't codify Roe v. Wade. What it does is it expands it radically. So the Democratic Party is not interested in trying to make abortions rare. They're trying to make it accessible. Right? They just showed that with what they just voted on. So I don't know if this interview was done prior to this Schumer thing or, or not, but it's clear that Brandon doesn't know what he's talking about in terms of the progressive movement. It seems merely that he's trying to suggest, well, he's trying to avoid the consequences of his actual belief to say, well, you, you conservatives, you, you say this is what we believe, but it's not what we believe. Yes, it is. Yes, it is exactly what you believe. Now, it may not be what Brandon believes, so let's get to Brandon, uh, because we, can, we have something to say about that too. So let's just say Brandon wants safe, legal, and rare. So safe, legal, and rare, well, then it brings up the question, why rare? And this is why the Democrats are moving away from, from this. If it is rare, then why should it be rare? Is it rare because we know that what's inside of a, a woman's body is a baby? Oh, forgive me totally insensitive of me. I should, I should step back and say, um, pregnant person's body uh, is, is a baby. Is that why it should be rare? Because if it is rare and we're willing to accept the obvious presupposition that what's inside of a woman's belly is a baby, then all of the arguments of the left crumble to the ground. The my body, my choice argument crumbles to the ground when you say it's not just your body in your body because there's another body in there and that's the body of your baby. So it's not your body, your choice. It's your body with another body that you don't have the right to do anything about. So what we have there then is this idea of even in the case of rape, even in the case of incest, does the baby that's inside of you have to pay the moral price of something that was done to you by somebody else. Shouldn't the criminal pay that price rather than, than the baby? Because if it is a baby in the belly, then clearly we know the answer to this question. The baby is not criminally responsible for something that it has no control over. And we say, well, what about the emotional trauma of somebody that has to raise the baby of their rapist? Again, you don't get to kill somebody because they create emotional trauma. I don't want to diminish the emotional trauma here because I could say many things about that. So I'll just simply say this, is that if it's a baby and, and we agree with that, and that's why we say rare, then we've got a real problem here, Brandon. The, the, the point is, is that you cannot be a Christian and call yourself pro-choice unless you are deeply, deeply deceived. Can you be a Democrat and a Christian? Sure. Can you be a pro-choice Democrat and a Christian? No. Because Jesus said this, if you love me, you obey my command. And this is my command, that you love each other, that you love one another. And love has no greater one than this, that a man lays down his life for another. See, the way that you love people is by laying down your life for them, not by making sure that you risk somebody else's life so that you can have a better life. But this is the the argument that that so much of the uh, uh, the pro-choice community rests abortion on. They say, well, the life of the mother. Well, 
the life of the mother truly is important and truly important in the eyes of God. But you cannot obey scripture and risk another person's life to save your life when, when scripture clearly commands us to lay down our life for the sake of other people's lives. And I'm not merely even talking about health of mother here because quite frankly, the 0.5% of, of abortions in the past that take place <clears throat> because of this issue, which by the way, those are old statistics, they really don't happen. Uh, modern science has, has moved to the place where there is no need to have an abortion to save a mother's life. Now the baby may still um, be aborted in the process of trying to save the, the, the baby's life, if that makes sense. The baby may still, still die, but, it, but you don't have to. Ask every OBGYN in your city. You don't have to abort the baby to save the mother's life. So I digress. But the point is, is this. So what we're really talking about is just simply a matter of convenience. I'm not ready. I don't have enough. The baby is unexpected or unplanned. And I'm not, I, what about my college career? And isn't this going to be a damper on those things? And so the reality is, is in good conscience, you can't call yourself a Christian and clearly disobey the commands of God, which tell you to lay down your life for the sake of another person's life. And clearly this is the case in abortion. And so for that very reason, I have to tell Brandon this and other pro-choice Christians. Friend, not today. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.